Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys duck comics, joined by a returning guest host. Warren, could you uh, introduce yourself and remind us about your um, level of experience with the Carl Bark's comics? Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah, Warren Harmon here, uh, back for another great podcast and uh, reviewing a story that I grew up with. Uh, yeah, I'm a longtime Barks collector, comic collector, all Barks uh, mostly, and uh, got into the lithographs uh, later in life and all around duck fan. So uh, love the podcast and love sharing my my reminiscence and, and story thoughts. Excellent. Um, Warren, have you ever hung out in the American Southwest before? Well, yeah, you know, I went when I was working uh, actively with Mayo Clinic here in Rochester, we have a clinic in Scottsdale in Phoenix. So I would go to Phoenix and Scottsdale two or three times a year for many years. And I, on one of my adventures there, I, I traveled the state, you know, went up to northern Arizona, went down to southern Arizona, really enjoyed the, the landscape and the desert. And uh, this brought back a few of those memories. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. So we we are going to journey to the to the Southwest. I guess I should say return to the Southwest for this episode. Um, because because Barks really likes setting his stories in this area. Uh, and I'm happy to hear that you're pretty experienced with uh, that that area with the, the the southwestern desert. It's a beautiful place and it really figures strongly in in this story, which which is, of course, the Seven Cities of Cibola. Yes, also known as the Seven Cities of Gold uh, in a lot of reprints. I know we'll talk a little bit about that, but um, I was fascinated with this story uh, at 10 years old when I bought my very first Gold Key comic. I think I told you this at our very first podcast. That was the best of Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck number two, which ah. featured which featured Luck of the North, my favorite story. But look at the secondary there. The secondary was That's the, right. the, the Cibola. That's where I discovered this story for the first time as a 10-year-old in uh, 1967 and uh, absolutely was amazed at the sheer adventure and vastness of it. Um, so really I'm looking forward to share my memories as I kind of revisit the story. That's a great like pairing of stories to be introduced to the to the Barks universe, right? Because you get these two great stories, two di very different adventures, very different settings. You get good exposure to Donald, Scrooge, Gladstone. That that's that's an awesome comic to have started with. Yeah, it's my favorite actually. One of my favorites. I can understand why. So I have a lot of experience with this area too, because I, I spent about I spent almost 15 years. Uh, in the desert. I, I lived outside of Phoenix for much of my life. And so um, it figures really strongly in my imagination and, and memories. And, uh, and, and I think Barks just really enjoyed depicting this area. You know, he grew up in um, the inland part of California, right? 
and that's and that's cool. where we're we're gonna kick off in this story and uh and, and they're they're actually gonna i think travel a, a pretty pretty long way through some pretty unforgiving uh but really wonderfully drawn yeah. american southwest deserts that's what struck me was the artwork and uh the incredible uh just the, his depiction of what his memories were of that area and his love of of the native cultures uh comes through in this story so well and uh and respectfully as well. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, he he's definitely Barks shows a lot of interest in the um, the lore and the history of the region that he's in. Um, you can see that he really likes to focus on it in stories like in Old California um, and in this one. And and so you, you see a lot of personal touches in this story, references to some actual place names. He's going to sneak in a little cameo of someone he knows. I love um, it. It 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 makes for a really absorbing story my kind of initial thoughts on this one warren right we're we're in uh we're at uncle scrooge number seven and and this was this came out in july of 1954 was its publication date and and so we're we're still very pretty early in the uncle scrooge series and one of the things that doing this podcast has like kind of crystallized for me is I, I never really thought about the sequence of stories that he did you know and to me it seems like he spent the first handful of the uncle scrooge stories really concerned with kind of like establishing the character um, softening some of the kind of like negative edges that he had given him when he was kind of a side character right now. Now, I, I, you got to imagine that he's proud of of getting a flagship title, a, a, like an actual comic book with featuring his creation. Right. So I think he really threw a lot into creating Uncle Scrooge and establishing him in Number one, only a poor old man. Number two, back to the Klondike. To a lesser extent, but still concerned with some of that myth-making of Scrooge, number three as well. And then he gets further into this series, and like starting with issue number four of the series and into the rest of it, we're more in this mold of just kind of having these adventures. And this one's a pretty big deal in a certain way because like it's it's really his first official treasure hunt. It is. And and I liked what you said about the evolution of his character development in his own series. What what I think is wonderful is as a young reader back in the 50s, you're seeing this old man duck, if you will, uh, who's this multi-billion billionaire. And, and yet he's not afraid of anything. He'll do anything. He'll travel, be a treasure hunter. He'll go everywhere with his nephews. And I think he just established this wonderful character in in Scrooge, who, uh, like you said, in this story, uh, goes on his very first treasure hunt. Right. And and this is what the character is really going to be remembered for. It's kind mm -hmm. of interesting that it's taken like so many issues, right? Because most of the previous like, quote, adventures have been about protecting his fortune. Um, they've even been these really deep character studies, yeah. right? Concerned, like, uh, especially Uncle Scrooge 1, 2, and 3, 
as well as number six, tra-la-la. Are, are these really like contemplative musings on, on aging and memory and, and the past and, and your origin? And, and it's not until this seventh issue where it just kind of gets that classic Scrooge McDuck template that mm-hmm. th- this is like what what DuckTales is going to focus on. Exactly. Um, so so, yeah, this this uh, this I like this story uh, a lot. This one is just a really good, pure adventure story. Um, I love the twists and turns of this one. I read this. I remember like this one really fired my imagination as a kid. And I read my copy of this over and over. So this will be fun to talk about. Um, I'd already mentioned a couple of the kind of background details. Uh, This is one of the longer stories. We, We won't have any more of his quote, full length 32 pagers. This 28 page length is, is as long as he's going to get to do at this point. It kind of hits a sweet spot, I think. I think, you know, this one it gets to play out pretty well. Um, it has not been reprinted as frequently as I would have guessed that it might. It only has nine reprints in counting the original in the United States. I also realized that in, in that reprint in that best of Uncle Scrooge or Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge from 67. I believe uh, the the uh, podcast listeners will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's the first time that this untitled story. Uh, uh, well, no, I take that back. There was it, it was called the Seven Cities of Cibola. Originally, I believe. Was that right, Mark? Did it have a title on the uh, in, in the original? Uh, I think that this was one of the untitled stories yeah. originally. Yeah. um, You know, Barks had that correspondence with with a a fan early on about potential titles for some of the bullets. Yeah. 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 With with Willits. And so he had proposed the seven cities. I think he proposed the seven cities of gold and Uh, it it officially land ended up landing on on Cibola. But for some reason, like you said, the the fan the recent fantagraphics went with the seven cities of gold yeah and i i i that's fine i guess um it it yeah. tells a story but i believe that this uh that the first time it was really the seven cities of cibola was in this reprint of this gold key reprint it's yeah possible. i think that's right yeah and and it's worth it's definitely worth dwelling a little bit on on the actual legend here Mm-hmm. Right. This is boy, th- this is a really fascinating legend, right? Um, the idea of the seven cities of gold is something that comes up in, in American history for a long, long time. And this this legend arguably is one of the most dangerous stories in the world mm-hmm. because it it animated the Spaniards when they came to the Americas. Um, and, and it just, it led to all of these fruitless searches for these supposed cities where they were just clad in gold um, and full of mythical riches. And and this is kind of the second time that Barks has has featured this, right? Because um, the the El Dorado, the Gilded Man, yes. was was based on. It's like an overlapping legend, right? It's it's kind of this ur legend that every European knew, quote, 
that the Americas were full of riches if they could only find them. And lot, lots of lives uh, were lost in, in pursuit of these cities. And the research that you and I both have done uh, on this uh, legend uh, takes us back to the 16th century, to 1539, to all of these great excursions, which Barks points out um, to actually twist a little bit of fiction into fact in this story, which I thought was really a, a brilliant storytelling technique and blending two different legends to kind of make the story even richer with with the, the ship of the desert and, and that sort of thing. So I thought it was really a fascinating way for for Barks to take, which I read in one of the critical essays of this story was originally he thought he had something like a 10 page story. He yeah. didn't have a 28 page story until he did more. He was I think he was overhearing a conversation from an old man in a restaurant. Did you, did you hear that one? Yeah, yeah. He he called him. I, I don't I didn't copy down the <laughs> quote, I don't think, but he called him like uh it, it was a very Barksy and funny thing. He was like a notorious liar or something. A notorious liar who was telling a story that was absolutely not true, but to really bring the journey to the seven cities to a full adventure. Uh, right. He he just felt compelled to say, Okay, now I can make a long adventure story and I can give I can give Uncle Scrooge, this vehicle to really showcase his this new personality, this new quest for more wealth. I mean, this Scrooge is a very different Scrooge than the first Scrooge we saw when he was just hunkered over in a chair and he could hardly, you know, get, get out of his chair. Yeah. So I think yeah, this is true. a wonderful transition. It's worth reflecting on how much um, how much we've changed from Christmas on on Bear Mountain. So. You know, I had alluded to a cameo that Barks included uh, yeah. with with a friend of his. Was it his editor? I don't know. I wasn't clear on that. I, I know he was a friend and they were having drinks and, and uh, something. Yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit? You want to relate how this kind of went down? Yeah. Uh, Barks was inspired with a visit of his friend. His name is Al Koch or Cook. I don't know, but K-O-C-H. Mm -hmm. He was the manager of the Riverside Welfare Office in Indio, California. Uh, he was an authority on local Indian tribes and told Barks about an old Indian trail near Thousand Palms. Uh, Barks explored that trail and decided to use it to set the ducks on the road to Cibola. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. And as a form of acknowledgement, uh, Barks drew him into the story in that wonderful scene where this really realistic looking man looking character, not a dog character, right. uh, the Beagle Boys out of the welfare office. And that was his uh, little tribute to his friend Al. Yeah, it's neat when he sneaks uh, these little cameos in. So I, I think that the kind of progression of this story, this is something that I want to be thinking about as we talk about it. Sure. It's it's one of the, the, the really cool things is how it starts on this really small scale, mm -hmm. um, looking for Indian arrowheads, stumbling onto this Indian trail, and, and then just eventually progressing to the seven cities of Cibola. It's, it's very uh, it's very captivating to me. The adventure becomes more grand with every panel. Yes. Right. And, and I've got to tell you, when I read this, it would have been I would have been about nine years old, I'm thinking. And and there was a there was a show 
at the time that was just a few years old called the Mysterious Cities of Gold. It was this like joint production between Japan and France and um, just really beautiful animation, kind of an incredible and deep story. And, and I was absorbed in watching this like serial story. I don't think there's anything else like it from that era of animation. Um, and, and so I was just getting all this information, all this input about these, these mysterious cities of gold. And so yeah. uh, that, that's, I, I feel like they just figure very, th- this myth just casts a long shadow in pop culture, I think. Well, it does. And, and we'll get to some of the other um, great uh, storytellers of the modern era that Mark's inspired with this story. As right. you know, so yeah you know what let's not tease it this this is one of the things right. that everyone quote knows about yeah. the story what what is this fun fact warren well certainly as as the story ends in in our comic there's this wonderful scene where the beagle boys take the idol off of the um the mount there in the cave and the boulder starts throwing around excellent splash panel we'll talk more about it but Certainly that inspired Steven Spielberg and George Lucas to uh, develop and further develop an action sequence at the beginning of uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, that that to me is the perfect salute to the master storyteller from two modern day storytellers. In the in some of my research, I, I, I just cringed when I said, yeah, they were Spielberg and Lucas were having fun buying all of Bark's oil paintings. It's like, oh, come on, they could afford it. Right. But. <laughs> But but he they decided to give him the greatest honor by putting something from Cibola into his, their uh, their film. So yeah, like one of one of cinema's most iconic scenes, that boulder yes. scene from from Indiana Jones. I think it's Lucas himself has said was was specifically inspired by this story, and and they're very different in their kind of like placement and progression. But but Lucas himself has. As I, I think he's even done a couple of the forewords for some of Bark's collections. Yeah, he was a Bark's collector, a, a huge uh, fan. Uh, wrote the foreword in in a, well, a few of the books that I have, and um, but I was lucky enough to find a uh, a book called The Art of Carl Barks, and it was one of his oil painting books. And I got it at auction because this was the book that he actually gave to. George Lucas and I have that one. Like so, the copy. A copy. A he copy? George Lucas, thank you for and yes. I I I gave it to my son for Christmas last year because he's such a huge uh that's Indiana pretty film. dope. It's a pretty cool thing to have. I'll I'll send that's, you a picture. That's awesome. I would love to see a picture of that. I'll get a shot for you for the podcast. That would be neat. Yeah. All right. So, um, boy, yeah, a lot, lot of great stuff around this one. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and mention a couple of the titles. Take a moment to pander to our international listeners. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and just list a couple of the pretty straightforward ones. I'm going to try the French, which is Les Sept Cités de, Cibola, de Cibola, the Seven Cities of Cibola. Um, and then I like the, I like the Danish one. Why don't you do the, Den- the one from Denmark? Yeah, that's a lot of fun. That's very different uh, from it's certainly not straightforward, but it's uh, it reads far least till a prove nogetia, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, my Danish friends makes you want to try something new is the translation 
Uh, I thought that was fun. Yeah, it seems to be alluding to um, Scrooge in the beginning of the story. Huh? It does, yeah. <clears throat> and then um, German, again, is just a pretty straightforward translation. The Sieben Stadte von Cibola. And, yeah. uh, and that leaves you with Italy. Yeah, Italy. Again, a little bit more straightforward. Zio Paparone e al tesoro delle sette sitia. Uncle Scrooge and the treasure of the seven cities. Yep. All right, so let's do it, Warren. We're going to cover this story. So, you know, I've been having an exchange very recently on Facebook where it, it was pointed out, um, Ruben, who's been on here a couple mm -hmm. of times, just kind of highlighted how many of these stories start out in the money bin, right? And and I remember when I had Joachim, an editor at Egmont, on, he was talking about how important it is that a good writer and artist really introduces this character every time, right? Because you, you don't know how many new readers you might get on a given story. And so um, it's fascinating to me how Barks, he does such a good job of returning to this like familiar ground, mm. but adding something fresh to it. And, and so, we get this great establishing bit of Scrooge as impossibly rich in his money bin. And it just tells us a lot about the character each time. And, and in, in the case of this one, in the Seven Cities of Cibola, Scrooge is uh, getting a money bath from his butler, which is a side character that we don't see more than a couple of times yeah. uh, that I'm aware of. And it's a very funny shot, right? It's very Scrooge. Usually he's got a bathtub for this. It, it feels weirdly intimate to me, Warren. Yeah, he doesn't have any clothes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty odd. Um, and, and and we don't usually see Scrooge getting pampered this way either. So no, no. I, I think Barks kind of tried this out and then probably was like, eh, this doesn't feel very Scrooge McDuck-like. <laughs> and, and what he's doing at the beginning here is he's listing off the many different ways he makes money, the different industries he's involved in. Um, it's, it's all the kind of usual suspects, oil wells, railroads, gold mines, farms, factories, steamships, theaters. And he's very contentedly talking about how he's made money at, on just about every business there is on earth. Uh, and he kind of ponders if there are any ways that he hasn't made money. And eventually his, his mood darkens just a little bit because he's saying that, uh, you know, his life is becoming too stale. And so he wants, he gets dressed and he intends to go out and see if there's anything new that he might've missed. Yeah. I love it. I, I, he, uh, he, he's determined to find a new venture. And he says uh, at the top of the second page, I love the risk. I love that line. Yeah, I, I really like this opening. I think this is really strong. Um, this is kind of a theme that Barks will return to a few times. And it's very in keeping with the character, right? It's not, it's not just enough for Scrooge to be rich. He wants to be good at being rich. He wants to master all the trades. He, he likes the adventure of it, basically. And, and, and you mentioned the opening panel, which... All the splash panels in this story are fantastic. 
Mm -hmm. uh, this, is, this shot, I remembered as a kid, just absolutely loving it, the first one. And then I go back and I look at all of the paintings that he's done about money bins and all the lithographs that have come from those paintings. Barks was absolutely uh, enamored with the, the money bin storyline and, and the, uh, the, the, the gimmick. And, and again, trying new gags. Um, it, you know, I love this almost as much as I like the diving like a porpoise. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good anchor for the character. It is. Um, and so when he ventures out, basically the next couple of sequences are going to be about his, his efforts to find something new um, to invest in, to get good at. And this this gives Barks a really good systematic way to move the story forward. You want to tell us about his first attempt, Warren? Oh, yeah, it's great because a little cameo by Gyro Gearloose here uh, in his one wheeled motor car. Uh, and he sees it and, and he lights up and says that uh, says I'll offer you a million dollars. You're too late. Scrooge McDuck's auto factory bought it for 50 bucks. And then he said, aren't you Scrooge McDuck? I thought that was an interesting twist on this little character thing. You know, my old pal. And aren't you Scrooge McDuck? Yeah, this, this is a really funny exchange. I like um, it. Th this is going to be one of those kind of running character beats and gags that Barks will use a lot. Scrooge yeah. uh, being such an octopus that he's not even aware of, of all the things that he's involved in. Um, you know, I just I just did an episode about the 10-pager spending money mm. where, um, where he famously, you know, just is unaware of all all of his personal businesses and well, then i like part, that yeah this is certainly part of that right here yeah. right and i like that we get uh gyro's goofy single wheel car here because barks loves this thing right he he's been peppering it in the background of different stories um and i think this is the first time he actually kind of like highlights it but but you see this in, in all of these stories as just this random background gag. You do. That's a good point, because I remember it being much smaller and just in a frame or two. We get a good glimpse at uh, Gyro, who came out, what, a few years earlier, right? Right. And and this, um, I was wondering if this little cameo is his first interaction with Scrooge. I don't know. That's a good point. It might yeah. be. So before going on to that um, next effort to make money at something new, I'm just going to note, I, I really like this gag. Barks himself seems to really like this type of gag where someone doesn't recognize someone else. And I, I love it. It's great. It works for me. Um, why don't you also tell us about the, the next effort? Well, after he, he uh, says he'd like to get into something simple that he can run with his own hands. And so he uh, sees this peanuts, peanut uh, cart, a charming little he thinks a peanut wagon would be a great way to uh, make some more money. I love the guy calls him shorty. Too bad, shorty. I can't sell it. He doesn't yeah. know who Scrooge is. And he says, well, it doesn't belong to me. Scrooge McDuck owns it. He owns all the wagons in town. And again, he says, oh, geez. I, and he offers him a sack of peanuts. And he storms off, upset that the fact he's lost his taste for peanuts now. So he's he's discouraged now. He 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 doesn't know what he doesn't own. Right. And and those two instances are enough to to give us the reader 
the idea. Um, and, and next he's going to encounter his nephews and uh, they let him know that they are on the way to the desert to look for Indian arrowheads. Um, I like Scrooge's reaction. He's like, no. And, uh, and <laughs> Donald explains that they can sell the arrowheads for 50 cents a piece. And uh, Scrooge sees the opportunity there, but he goes to verify something first. And he, he calls his bookkeeper to see if he has any companies in that realm. Um, and I like that the bookkeeper is very aghast and says that such a puny business would be beneath the dignity of a great billionaire like yourself. Right. <laughs> so that settles it. You know, he's going to join them. And uh, th this is a very Scrooge McDuck sort of thing, right? Like he's not, his time would be much better used, uh, quote unquote better. His time is incredibly valuable. Spending hours to find these 50 cent arrowheads yeah. doesn't make sense except in the fact, except for the fact that it's just, he's excited about it and it's something new and it's, it's this adventure it's a new adventurous way to make some money well in a way it's 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 a little bit akin to his uh youth and looking for gold i mean it's this is the adventure of finding the the item out there in the middle of nowhere you know <laughs> and i like i like his and donald's exchange for yeah. for 50 cents each i'd root arrowheads out of badger holes with my bare nose and donald tells him don't be so greedy you may have to do it <laughs> that's right and so um, next, we transition to the great deserts of the West, which are mysterious regions, as Barks notes in his um, in his narrator box. And and we don't know like exactly where they're going, um, but we're we're gonna kind of have an idea that it's somewhere in the like the really what I consider the really gross part of California, right? We're looking at like. Uh, outside of Riverside, once you get into the desert areas, Indio, um, we, we see a sign that says Thousand Palms. I see uh, that. So, yeah. so we're starting out in the deserts of California. This is not really far from civilization, right? And Barks hadn't really established Duckburg. We, we kind of know that Duckburg is, is in a California-like place. So this is very... Uh, very plausible, right? This is yeah. a plausible day trip. Um, and and so the ducks start to look for arrowheads and, and they talk about they, the Indians that used to live in the area. They talk about how, you know, you can look where, where the game was plentiful. Mm -hmm. um, Warren, when you were a kid, did you have any Indian arrowheads? You know, that's a great question. I didn't, but my, my, my uh, wife's grandfather collected Indian arrowheads. And uh, for many, many years uh, at, in his house before he passed, uh, there was a huge frame with literally about 40 arrowheads mounted in very beautifully aligned, you know, by size. And uh, he found all of those in, um, you know, in South Dakota, North Dakota and in the Nebraska, Kansas, when he when he traveled. Yeah, I, I have like a, an old cigar box full mm -hmm. of a few of these. My granddad grew up in Oklahoma and Arkansas right. and um and would find these as a kid. Like this is this is a real pursuit that people really did. That, that Native Americans used these for thousands of years across across the the area. So this this is like something you can actually do. There are there are fewer 
around to find, but um, but this is definitely something real. And so the ducks start to have some luck. I think for the reader, this is an exciting moment, right? We see them finding these and uh, and we enjoy it. It's I neat. think for the reader, Mark, I think for the reader, I also, this is the beginning of Barks's history lesson here. He's really wanting to educate the reader a little bit through the through the humor and through the adventure of this story. Uh, I just love the all of the references to where the game was plentiful and here's an arrowhead here and then they have fun with it. But I, that's what I love about this. And as a kid, I just ate it all up. Yeah, it's a good point because they talk about like the ambush hunting that, yeah. the, that the Indians would have done and how they yeah. need to look at places like box canyons and stuff. And as they begin to have some luck, we get this little offhand reference to shouldn't they take a canteen of water with them? But but they don't intend to be very long, Donald says. And so as they find a really good spot and start to find arrowheads and spearheads and Scrooge finds some stone axes and bone beads, um, he's very excited at his small-scale fortune there, yeah. <laughs> suddenly um, a dust storm comes up a desert sandstorm as they as they call it so warren when you when your travels took you to arizona did you get to experience any of these only once i can't remember what they called them uh there's a name for that sudden sandstorm that kicks up it's it's called a haboob a haboob yeah and and i did i was in one and uh i was in a hotel room though i was not out in the middle of the desert it was quite ominous, and I can imagine this is kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty good depiction of, of a sudden storm, a haboob. I mean, yeah. they, they never last as long as he's going to show them later in the story. These, uh, these, these are serious business. So the, the ducks are not able to get back to their car, and, and they, they have to hold on to each other, not to be separated or blown away. Um, and, and they quickly get lost. And this is the part of the story that takes this like happenstance turn. That's pretty right. cool where they, they stumble into this trail, this groove in the ground. Yeah, the groove's been there. It's definitely established and they use that as the trail to follow. Uh, I love the exchange with uh, the nephews. Uh, uh, where is it taking us uh, to a soda pop stand? No doubt, <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if it did. But they are absolutely surprised when they uh, hit the uh, the oasis right there. Right, and and um, you know he mentions desert palms. Those are not exactly natives uh, native species, but okay. but that's okay. Um, the I, we don't really see oases the way you do in other parts of the world in the American Southwest. No. Um, but, that, but that's all right. So the ducks, you know, they have their water. And this is going to be one of the overriding themes of the story, the importance of having water with you. And boy, as someone who lived there long enough to consider himself a native, you got to have water in the desert. Um, yeah. I, I always feel thirsty on behalf of the characters in this one. Well, this was at a time, too, when I was 10 years old. I was a Boy Scout. And... Uh, and I always knew the importance of being prepared on those hikes I took up in northern Minnesota. So, so um, there's this neat little element here where the they're able to get a good look when the storm subsides. Mm -hmm. I like how they can kind of look back and see the trail they followed. And they figure out that it's this well-tended old Indian trail that was worn um, the, with a groove that was worn down over thousands of years. 
And uh, as they follow the trail, they come across a mound of rocks mm-hmm. where there is a hidden bit of pottery. Um, and you want to tell us what happens with the pottery? One of the nephews picks up the pottery and uh, it just breaks and uh, out come just these this these jewels and and uh, and Scrooge just looks at them ornaments of heavy gold and he just leaps on them as if he was in his money bin. He just says, let me take a look at that stuff. I'm an expert on gold. And so he uh, he goes right at it and uh, he verifies that, yes, these are the real thing. This is the thousands of years old jewelry. And uh, thanks to the nephew. Who found it? Yeah, and and so we get a little detour as they go back to. We do see that they're actually in Indio. Yes, um, right in, in the background, it identifies the Indio Gem Society, <clears throat> and they they ask a professor to identify where it would have come from, uh, and we get a little bit of hand waving here. Right, this guy just knows, but but that's okay. He's he's uh, he's clearly an authority, so he knows that it could have only come from one place. And we get this neat little dramatic reveal. This is treasure from the original seven cities of Cibola, <laughs> uh, and this is a this is a favorite gag of Barks, right? Where um, Scrooge, do you want to read us the line that the nephew says? Well, the nephew says. <laughs> Have you got some ice water, Professor? There's a cash register ringing in Uncle Scrooge's head. Right. And and uh, Scrooge being overcome by visions of a fortune is, of course, a classic. Well, it, it, um, it replaces his pupils, but every little expressive flare out of him uh, is a dollar sign. And that's, again, he this is what he set out to do, and he found this new fortune. So, Right. And, and so we get this brief little history lesson for the benefit of readers where the nephews talk about um, the, how those seven cities are the ones that explorers looked for for so long. And right. the streets were said to be paved with gold. Um, and then Donald chimes in that, ah, oh, that story was a fake. The seven cities were found to be poor mud pueblos. Um, and, and this is true, right? The, right. Uh, that is actually the, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, I know that there was an ex an expedition launched by um, the Padre Marcos Denisa, who uh, there's a high school near where I lived in Tempe, Arizona, that was Marcos Denisa High School. Mm, okay. um, so he's he's I think he's famous as like the first European supposedly in in the territory of Arizona, but wow. but. He uh, apparently corroborated the story, um, someone's reporting about the seven cities, and he led, who was the conquistador that he led? Was it Coronado? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he, he's the guy who led um, Francisco, it's Francisco, right? Francisco de Coronado. Right. Um, to, to to mount an expedition to find them and and when they got there they were like deeply underwhelmed to find that it was like these poor um like mud pueblos that were at the zuni pueblo in in new mexico right um, 
so so Barks is doing this good job of kind of mixing fact and fiction. And he's got this professor here who is an authority and he's able to chime in and say, oh, were they fakes? <laughs> um, and he tells that the Indians never guided searchers to the real cities and that no white man has ever seen Cibola. Mm -hmm. and, and there is some supposition that the, the very legend of them was basically like a native way of just getting them off their pack. Um, but, um, but he, he purports to have some like artifacts that prove that they're real. And, and so the ducks, they, they sense that they have, they've got kind of this in where they, they have the best chance of finding the cities and that they can just follow that old Indian trail. They do. And it, but it starts off with uncle Scrooge asking the professor, but where are they? And he says, Hey, if I knew. I'd go there myself. So there's still this mystery. You're right. And then they get they have to go back to the trail to uh, hopefully find at the end of that Indian trail where they might find it. Yeah, it's interesting that the professor ponders briefly in Spanish, right? He says, where? Quien sabe? It's, if yeah. I knew, I'd go there myself. Um, yeah, every once in a while, Barks does that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so the next sequence is pretty funny to me warren um we're we're introducing the beagle boys into the story you want to tell us about this well as, as scrooge and donald and the nephews go to the cafe to kind of strategize their next step we see um again this is a caricature drawing of barks's friend who actually works for the welfare department in riverside uh it says it right there aid for the poor riverside county welfare and he's kicking um, the five Beagle Boys out saying, you bums, we're tired of you giving you relief checks. And the the depiction of him is of his friend L, uh, who he strategized the story with. So what a nice little way to put them in there. But I just love, I love the way the Beagle Boys now are just sitting on the pavement outside the, the county welfare office. And they're complaining that they're, they are needy cases. You're kicking us out here to starve. Where are we going to go eat? And they start bawling and crying. Um, and I love this line. I have to read it. Since banks put in burglar alarms, we've had a hard time making ends meet. So, and they're tired of jail cooking. It's just classic. Yeah, I'm glad you highlighted that line. I like that. I love it. Um, this is a very whiny, sniveling version of the Beagle Boys. This it is, is also... This is also one of Bark's frequent, like, kind of poking at the welfare state. Yeah. Um, he he doesn't like it. No, that's uh, evident through the, yeah, that's true. Right. And and he also does these frequent little gags, uh, kind of suggesting that criminal justice system coddles criminals like the Beagle Boys. That definitely is evident here in this. And, of course, but the only... The only way that I kind of buy this is that we know who the Beagle Boys are. They're, they are taking advantage of the system. They are burglars. They are not good people. And, and so I'm okay with them getting kicked out, but it, I never thought of it as a commentary by Barks. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny, but it's it's just definitely a little bit of Barks editorializing. There. Oh, no question. Um, you'll, you'll see it later in, in um, what's it called? House of... House of Haunts, is that what it's called? That late story where the Beagle Boys are constant. Anyway. I do love I do love the artwork, and he's done this in many stories, where at the end of that page, you see the Beagle Boys all with their hands <laughs> on their shoulders walking off in line. We've seen that so many times. It's just whether they learned that in prison or that's just how these, these boys behave. I just love that. Yeah, it does look kind of like a jail lineup or something. <laughs> I just love um, it. So... 
the Beagle Boys, they're, they're very conveniently here and they're going to stumble on the ducks in the diner. And, uh, you know, they, they've got their immediate assumption. Scrooge is always into some kind of big, rich business. So they plan to, uh, quote, listen in on his diamond-studded words. And so they overhear their plans to set out and find the seven cities. There's a very fun couple of common uh, complimentary panels at the end of this page, Warren, where the ducks toast to their adventure the next day. Um, and then the Beagle Boys very, like, self-satisfied smugly also toasts to their identical very that's a it's a fun pair so you see see the beagle boys and and the ducks kind of go back and forth now in the next sequences you see them both on the same quest now uh the beagle boys however are following the ducks and it's an interesting trade-off yeah exactly that's exactly right and and the the next couple of pages they're not too consequential it's really about it's really about the journey. It is, they are really interesting because there's some really cool, um, lovely desert scenery. And um, it's it's fun to see the beagles trailing the ducks. We get to see the nephews bust out the junior guy, the junior woodchuck's guidebook a couple of times when they get a little bit stymied. Um, we, we figure that that's the only way the ducks are able to make it likely farther. We, we imagine that people have probably followed this trail before, I think. But the guidebook is what gives them the edge, right? And Uncle Scrooge acknowledges that and says that the boys have got us here through their, their knowledge from the Junior Woodchuck's manual. And again, these two pages, as you said, really nothing much happens here, but a little bit more education and and we established the the Beagle Boys following them, but from a great distance. Right. And and it definitely makes it feel like a journey. Yes. Um, And and we see the ducks ford the Colorado River. Mm -hmm. So um, we we can assume now that they've crossed, that's the state line, basically. They've crossed over into Arizona at this point. Correct. Um, and, And once they make it across, they run out of trail to follow mm-hmm. um and and there's some conversation about how you know some some big flood must have deposited silt and so they barks makes sure to highlight that they need to fill their canteens with water and and when we pick up on the beagles hours behind them um tell us about that they are coming to the colorado they're aching Hiking is worse torture than the prison rock quarry. They really are ready to give up and head home. Um, but then they they cross the river, and then one of them asks about filling their canteens, and one of them says unwisely, "Well, we don't have time for that. There'll be a spring ahead." Well, that comes back to haunt them. Right, and and they've had to rush because yeah. I think they had to rush because of the uh, was it the storm? Right, a big dust storm. Dust storm, two up, days, which yeah. which is why they have to like make and that it, decision. It lasted two days, so they really want to make up time. They unwisely did not fill their their canteens. Right, and I've never seen a dust storm last that long there, no. but but you know I did I did live in the uh, well developed area, so we transition to a part of the story where. Everyone's having to really carefully ration their water. Yeah. But the Beagle Boys are they, they haven't they haven't been careful about oh. sto- storing theirs. 
Um, and so they, they end up getting stuck in a dry, rocky swale being too weak to climb out. And uh, they, they are, they're in pretty bad straits. Um, and so the ducks also get down to the point where they only have one more drink of water. And uh, we see them deciding to ration it and preparing to cross a swale, that being the shortest way to the mountains. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, and, and it's funny that Barks doesn't show us the, obviously the ducks are about to collide with the beagles. Um, he keeps the, the comics camera panned outside and we just I imagine. <laughs> and the narrator box 10 seconds later, which, which, which caught me. I had to reread this a few times, Mark, just so from a context standpoint, it looks like the beagle boys actually caught up to them and passed them up if they were already in the swale. Yeah. I I, I had to imagine that they've kind of maybe been circling a little bit. They don't have this clean trail to follow now. But we had to bring them together at some point, and this was the vehicle to do that. Right. It's it's funny that the Ducks only learn that the Beagle Boys are in this story so many pages in. <laughs> um, so anyway, the, the Beagles do what we'd expect. They steal the Ducks' water, and they decide that they're going to head back. This has been too close of a call for oh, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and Scrooge is optimistic because, you know, he thinks, well, you know, at least now we know it's only us that are on our way to the seven cities. Um, but Donald is more realistic about the fact that they are out of water and in grave danger. And um, we're, we're about to hit this cool little ex, kind of an extra sequence almost uh, where the ducks bump into this other sort of urban legend of the American Southwest. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, the, 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 this other urban legend, as you call it, is this, this lost ship in the desert, uh, which they discover. Um, they think it's a mirage. They aren't sure if they're looking at it or not, but they see an old galleon, and it turns out to be very real. The uh, nephews look at the, the uh, Junior Woodchuck Mantle and verify that this is the lost ship of the desert, which has been seen several times in the last four centuries. Now, the reality of this, this fable of this is actually about 200 years later than the actual story of the seven cities. But Barks took creative license and kind of blended the two stories to bring it uh, that adventure, as I said earlier, uh, a little bit longer and a little bit more richer. So I do love this part where this this boat just sitting out, this ship sitting out there. And so they rush on board. Uh, they go down into the galley and they see water casts, which hard to believe there'd be still water. But I yeah. love that there's just a little bit in there. So they did get some water. I would not personally drink it, but uh, they do. And it wets their whistles. And uh We've made the second biggest find in the desert, they say, next to the seven cities themselves. Yeah, you, you said how much you like this. I really like this, too, right? Yeah. It's like it's almost like this this extra little mini adventure, this extra discovery that they weren't even looking for is is what saves them en route to the to the real prize. Yeah, I like the romantic nature of it. Just this boat out there and there and there. It just adds to the whole adventure story. Yeah, it, it does. And and as you say, this is a, quote, real legend. Um, and, and it's easy to see why, right? It's, it's as you said, it's very romantic to imagine this mm -hmm. mysterious ship in the desert where you wouldn't expect it. Mm -hmm. um, and and so they, they investigate further and they find the ship's logbook intact. 
and it explains that it is the story of, of Captain Francisco de Ulloa, who sailed west from Lower California in 1539 and was never seen again. Um, the nephews note that fortunately Scrooge can speak Spanish, mm-hmm. read Spanish, and, and Barks notes in a little caption that um, Ulloa is the commander of Cortez's fleet. Which is a fact. I think he he inserted fact in there to bring some of that fiction and fact together to verify it. And as he said in one of his, I think it was in Thomas Andre's book, uh, no one's going to check me on this. Right. <laughs> he he does that so well. He does, he does just enough research to give it this like veneer of j- just enough. Of a Just veneer of accuracy mm-hmm. to make it totally work. Um, and and the logbook, it's it's a really great pithy explanation. They this was the last route where they were the expedition was looking for the seven cities. And the, on this last voyage, they were caught in a great tide which swept the ship up the river 40 leagues or more. Mm-hmm. whereupon a great earthquake lifted the river and hurled its waters far eastward, um, and, and thus explaining how the ship came to rest where it was. And at the end of it, Scrooge says, oh, but the best part is here, uh, where it says that they looked over the bow and saw a great host of Indians coming from a cleft in the cliffs who were dressed in gold. Yeah, and that ominously was the last entry in the book, uh, and they figure they must have been Indians from Cibola. Yeah, it all now pulls; it all comes together with these two legends, right? And and this is just—he's creating this out of whole cloth, but the way he's stitched it all together, just it—it's such a great progression, and it feels so believable. And it's—it's it's been about, I guess, twenty pages or so, roughly. Yeah, it's about um, twenty. Is until we get to this this um, mythology or this wonderful lore and this story really unfolding now. Yeah. Yeah, and and like that's not that much time, but it the journey has felt pretty <laughs> arduous. He's done a good job of making this feel like a feel like a big journey. Um, so tell us about uh, what the nephew sees, Warren. Well, first of all, the nephew's up on the uh, the mast and and looks forward and says the cleft he saw must be that one, and right in line with the ship is this cleft in the in the hills and so they all come they, come on scrooge urges them to run toward there they're just thrilled they go up this little narrow path it re, it's a very much reminds me of the narrow paths that indiana jones would go up, right it's mm-hmm. just into the into this and, and there's this again another incredible for me memorable splash panel when you see all the seven cities of cibola um in their own little area and all scrooge can say is well, doesn't that take the cake? I love it. I just like they're in awe. And that's what he says. What do you think of this panel, Mark? Oh, yeah, this is like one of the all time memorable splash panels. As you say, it's great. It's iconic. The ducks just are in awe of it. Um, I think the reader is too. It's it's very striking. And his artwork, um, he, he depicts each of the cities in their own little area with the colored rock being different. So you can actually count the seven cities here to verify that this is what they finally found. Right. And it's interesting that it's seven cities all together, right? Because yeah. yeah. there it really is one big community, but but they are delineated in a way that 
I'm sure everyone who reads this the first time counts them. I don't want to, you want to see that there are, there are actually seven <laughs> of them and, and their styles, uh, they're stylized after like the, the quick cliff dwellings. Yes. That, um, that, that certain quick. tribes did. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and this was something that Barks modeled after his beloved national geographic. There was a feature called the ancient quiff dwellings, dwellers of Mesa Verde. Um, and, and so this is, this is what, what Barks used for the actual cities themselves. And I, it's kind of neat, right? It, it, it weaves in that little factual element that they were just these quote mud pueblos, but when they get in there, it, it really is very rich. And it's this very striking, there are these, there are these pillars supporting the cliffs Yes, that, um, are really imposing now don't don't think too too hard about the mechanics of this city because then then it does fall apart but <laughs> it, uh, um but for a comic book adventure story it's it's very engrossing and to know that these are the first people to actually discover these after thousands of years is is another probably unbelievable event but it's it's great to see them all look up in awe and um, and just realize that they've made it right. And and so Scrooge kind of recaps the story for us helpfully here. He says the mm -hmm. seven cities of Cibola, and we found them because we were curious about an old Indian trail. Um, do you want to tell us about some of the sites they find, Warren? Yeah, I think the uh, they they look down at the um, the bricks. Uh, the nephews say it looks like yellow bricks. And uh, Scrooge immediately knows that those are gold bricks. They look at baskets woven out of gold, of gold nuggets, and, uh, and a cistern full of opals and sapphires and jewels beyond anyone's imagination. Uh, they look, everything is here that uh, solid ruby arrowheads. Barks really likes this. There's only a handful of stories, I guess, but but I think there's some of his most memorable, right? Like when they when they get down into the minds of King Solomon, he really takes pains. He he likes to depict all these different forms of riches in his Oh stories. yeah, the different types of riches that are out there, the jewels, the gold, the the the, the yeah. Right. And and while the ducks are basking in all this uh all this treasure, the beagles have decided that they're going to um, they, they feel emboldened by their one drink of water. So they decide, I don't know, maybe they made it back and, and tanked up somewhere else, but they decide to go back and finish the job. And, and they're able to pick up on the duck's trail pretty easily. And then we see this uh, idol. Tell us, tell us, Warren, about the idol. Well, the idol, when, when you see it, when I read it as a, as a young boy, um, it stood out as sort of the find of the year here for for uh, Scrooge, he calls it the single most valuable object in the whole world. And um, nephews, of course, know it's a booby trap and don't touch it. But this is pure emerald. It's sitting up there on the uh, the perch, uh, and it's uh, definitely rigged up to a booby trap, which then is easily explained in the next few panels in this great artwork of this immense boulder. And the boulder is perched upon this thin column of bricks and stone. Um, and they realize that if you were to take that idol, it would bury the seven cities here. And now we're coming up on that scene, which is we talked about earlier from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a doomsday device, basically. It is. It is. This will destroy it. And yeah. Um, the 
the idol itself is supposed to be this giant emerald. It, it does not look very like place accurate to me. I don't I don't know Southwest art that well, but I but I, I spent enough time there to be like, eh, that doesn't look very, very regionally accurate. This it looks kind of generic ooga booga. Oh, okay. It's um, nothing to me. Aztec lore. Yeah, I, I don't know. It it yeah, it kind of looks Aztec in a way that it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Right. So so this is a trope that appears in a ton of these kind of adventure things, right? An ancient civilization has like this doomsday device that uh, and we know it's it's like it's like Chekhov's gun right mm-hmm. it, it, we know that it's the audience wants to see it happen um we know that this almost always happens it's very exciting it's very interesting but like as i get older i can't help but think about how the mechanics of such a thing like falls apart, right? Who who leaves something intact like that long enough for their civilization to just disappear? How does this boulder stay in place over thousands of years? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, if, if the United States had like a button that was designed to obliterate us, uh, that was this accessible, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we'd go more than 48 hours before some lunatic just like frantically push the button. So yeah, uh, you're right. You're right. But it is a it is a fun trope. And we've seen it time and time again in adventure movies and in these comics where they uh, they they rig this up. And especially the the what you just mentioned, which really hit me at home, was the fact that after thousands of years, the Earth didn't settle enough to knock the boulder off right. track a little bit. Right. It, it falls apart under a little bit of consideration, but um, but it definitely works in that like sort of comic book realm. Um, just 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 one little sour note for me, though. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like it, the boulder itself is, of course, very much the the Indiana Jones boulder, but but also this kind of pressure plate. Right. I can now I. As soon as I see this idol, I think, throw, throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. Yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> um, all right, so the ducks, ju- just like they, so the ducks do give the idol some wide berth. They, they're smart enough to be like, okay, don't mess with that. Um, they, they continue to explore this. And, and just like they discovered this ship's log of kind of the last days of the voyage, they discover this picture writing on the wall um, that also explains what happened. Uh, And it says that, you know, they use their guidebook, of course. And it it says that with with, that a great sickness came with the white men on the big canoe Mm -hmm. Uh, and the people fell ill and all went to the happy hunting ground and that the Indian that wrote this was the last to go. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty sobering thing to include, right? It, and it it really is. And 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 Donald's reaction is 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 actually quite nice. It's the poor guys, all their gold and jewels couldn't buy their good health back. I mean, that's a really nice little lesson, uh, I think, that Barks put in there. Right. And and I mean, this is like this is what happens to much of the, the arrival of the conquistadors and and the and the European settlers was was a form of apocalypse for the native population. Absolutely. Um, and, and smallpox wiped out all these settle, many of these settlements and villages. 
So, um, so that definitely rings sadly true. And the ducks keep looking and they kind of ponder what happened to those conquistadors. One of the nephews is like, oh, we haven't seen their armor. What became of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we get this little, um, little scare beat. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a ghostly, almost a ghostly uh, visit, if you will, where, you know, the nephew sets it up with where what happened to the armor and all of a sudden we see these shadows these ominous shadows and the clanking of them yeah so they, who they are right away i don't think they really realize who they are in that last panel right and and you know we learn pretty quickly that it's the beagle boys they've found this armor and they've put it on as a lark and and we have this now we get this confrontation where the beagle boys uh say that they want all of this fantastic wealth and um, it's pretty grisly what they do, right? They uh, tell tell us about what they do. Well, the, they all they they do uh, throw all of the ducks into. Uh, they say they're going to jail them, and they brick up a wall tomb for them, if you will. They're 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 sealed in in a wall behind bricks. In right, and you know the the beagles are so goofy in this, but but every once in a while they yeah, this they is- are very menacing. This is a menacing scene. Um, you know, Scrooge offers them a trillion dollars to let them go. Now nah, that'll be chicken feed compared to what we're going to take out of here. Um, you know, uh, so uh, now what I find interesting on this is that they they take off the armor and they begin diving into the money just like Scrooge dives. And right. for another story, I think the Beagle Boys, they tried to do this and that was Scrooge's attempt to stop them because they hit the they hit the money and they they get knocked out. right well that's classically his uh, uh his means of stopping them and only a poor old man that's right but it's but it's not from quite that same height at least uh, that's true but they um, they relish the money yeah yeah so th- this this wraps up pretty predictably here mm-hmm. right the the ducks were smart enough to leave that idol alone but as the beagles are, are relishing in all this wealth around them, a couple of them spot it and uh, and they start to scuffle with it, arguing over who can have it in, in whose mansion. <laughs> um, and and they trigger the the doomsday device that mm-hmm. the, the Cibolans have left behind. I tell you, if I was an average citizen of Cibola, and my leaders said, all right, people, we have a grand plan to, to create a doomsday device. If anyone jostles this one idol, we're all gone. Our, our, we're, we're all gone. Everything is going to be destroyed. I would not vote for that person to lead <laughs> me again. Right. So that's that's a, a pretty scary proposition for, the, for a, a society to... <laughs> To live under constantly. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. It's true. The moment we see that boulder at the beginning and these pillars and we see the mechanics of of how it's going to happen, we want to see it, you know, um, and and it's pretty spectacular as as cool as it can be on the on the page, right, for something that's got so much motion, uh, the way the boulder does what it does and and the city collapses pretty spectacularly with our ducks sealed nicely behind a wall they are able to uh, know what's going on and scrooge looks out and says he'll never see his beloved money again yeah and, and the beagles are trapped everyone gets buried and and everyone should be should be killed yeah but 
but another instance of of cartoon logic. Boy, it's a it's a pretty big instance of cartoon logic. Yeah, they um, all escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everyone eventually um, eventually emerges from from beneath the rubble. And uh, you want to tell us about what's happened to every character, Warren? Yeah, I, I found this to be. I, I, you mentioned comic book logic and uh, just circumstantial humor and everything but here every member that was in there the ducks and the beagle boys all emerge safely from this wreckage with amnesia they all have bumps on their head and they can remember why they're there and i thought like okay what a great way to wrap this story and keep the mystery of the seven cities alive and i thought that was in a way brilliant in a way like oh come on (laughs) Uh, how yeah. about how did you take oh, that? It's it's definitely a bit of a cop out, and, and yeah. you know, knowing that just and and as of a couple of issues ago, he was still um, two issues ago. Secret yeah. of Atlantis was his yeah. last thirty-two pager, yeah. and and I've, I can't help but wonder. Okay, well, if if we had four more pages, would he have wrapped this up a little bit more satisfying? It, it's a fun little capper of a gag right he's got amnesia so the only thing that he remembers scrooge remembers is arrowhead hunting yeah the arrowheads that were in his pocket yeah right right four arrowheads that he lost in his pocket but it's not worth digging through that pile of rubble for two bucks of course the reader knows that there's a, a countless billions of dollars under there yeah, but, um, I those four extra pages would have brought. I, I got to believe it would have been a little bit more grand. Yeah, and, and I mean, he's able to do some great storytelling in a lot of different lengths. Sure. So maybe maybe this is just how he did want to end the story. Um, amnesia is like a common trope. He doesn't go to that well very often. He doesn't. It's kind of the etch-a-sketch, right? How do you get everything kind of back to normal? Yeah, I mean, we don't see the ducks. Uh, they obviously have a lot of deserts to make it <laughs> back across. But um, but but the story ends very much back to status quo. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the ending, I think he really wanted to do what he did and have that spectacular destruction of Cibola. I think he wanted to take the ducks on this cool journey um, and, and then when the story ended, he was pretty much done. So, you know, his energy, he really invested his energy in the places that he wanted to in this story. Sure. The, the travels, the Beagle Boys following the ducks, the discovery of the ship, all the trials of, of finding water and staying hydrated and everything. And, and he, maybe he got tired, you know, he finally saw this thing come to this incredibly grand ending where the cities were buried. And this is how he wraps it up. I, I I read it for the first time yesterday in a long time, and I didn't remember the ending. And when I read it, I went, oh, well, that's convenient. <laughs> but it works in the comedy world. And it works to bring that mystery, keep the mystery alive, if you will, and keep the legend alive. So they'll never know again because there was never any reference to the seven cities of Cibola because they were only hunting arrowheads. And the Beagle Boys, I don't know, that was the biggest stretch for me. At least the ducks were already in the desert or part of the desert. The beagles were just thrown out of the welfare office, and now they're sitting on a pile of rubble in Arizona. So I I don't know how they justified that. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of hand waving at the end of the story. So I I would say that's my only real criticism of this yep. one. I otherwise think that this is maybe not an all-time great, but like a very strong, you know, second tier Barks um, Scrooge adventure. What what are your overall thoughts on this? Yeah, I would agree with that that assessment. Uh, not an all-time great. But when it was paired with Luck of the North in that that best of series back in the from 64 to 67, when he did three, he did three gold key, did three of those where they paired these stories that were similar adventure stories. Um, it worked so well there because it was the first time I read it. What stood out for me again was this this Scrooge's absolute lust for more treasure and 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 the great trek that he went on to get it. Everything from that first splash panel of him in the money bin to that last splash panel of the rock just circulating and destroying everything. Those are the memories I have of this story. Uh, and that's why I have a fond recollection of it. Upon reading it again, again, I put it in that you do describe it as the second tier. I think that's where it belongs. Um, so, yeah, um, great artwork. Again, beautiful storytelling. He kind of mixes fact and fiction to do it, to make it the Barks reality. And I think that... Uh, it works. Yeah. Um, second tier kind of as an overall story, but it might be a top tier story as far as the like treasure hunting stories well, go. In that vein, yes. And the fact that this is Scrooge's first time out makes it very special. Yeah. So I, I like this one. I, I think it's a great story. It doesn't have kind of the like weight and, and impact of some of the earlier Scrooge ones that are like more thematically interested in some of those deeper things like like poor old man and Klondike. But um, but it's just a great solid adventure. Again, all of the different little twists and turns that it takes, they feel very earned to me. Yeah. And, and that mix of real history and legend and Bark's creation is just so nicely balanced and everything is so nicely integrated. I love it. You get, you get this great setup that feels very true to Scrooge, how he wants to try new fields to make money. Um, you get this fun little gyro gear loose uh, cameo. You get, you get the the sniveling whiny version of the Beagle Boys that that are very funny. I I like this one. It's it's a nostalgic favorite for me. One thing I noticed, and uh, and see if you agree, there was that one or two panels where the narrative it was on page twenty where the ship is seen in the flood. It's a flashback, right, of the earthquake where it lands. I think had there been more pages and had he given that, he may have introduced more flashback sequences of the citizens of Cibola, of maybe some of the what they were doing. That might have been uh, kind of a nice addition to the story. I was hoping for a little more of that. I see it here where the ship settles, and then we go right back to reading the uh, the logbook. But um, that's only one little minor criticism for me, is I would have liked to have seen more of that flashback to really set it up a little bit more. Yeah, I, I would. that would have been cool to see. I think I would have liked to have spent a little bit more time in Cibola itself. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're right. A, a flashback in Cibola could have been really interesting. But well, see, um, that, see that with the cave wall paintings uh, that they they look at, uh, and it would have been interesting to maybe see what the you know. And he's done this with others where he he goes back in time to show that the uh, how the culture evolved. But, right. Yeah. Yeah, so so let's check in with how um, how the community feels about this one. 
yeah. I think I think it's pretty much in line with how you and I have been describing it, right? If you look on Index, which of course is the community site where anyone can vote on these stories and, and it has lots of great facts and material about them, um, it gets a 7.8 out of 10, which is good as of right now, as of today, it's 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 barely in the top 100. It is number 100 right now at this moment. All right. So that's a very strong ranking when you consider that there are like 42,000 stories voted by that fans have voted on uh, on Index. And I, I feel like it's I feel like it's a pretty accurate ranking. I'll say that I think that it is one of the for me, if I think about those first 10 issues of Uncle Scrooge, mm-hmm. um, which is just kind of a useful it's a nice round number, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like there's like four standouts that are um one, two, three, and six. Yes. Um, poor old man Klondike, uh horseradish story, tra la la. And right. and then Secret of Atlantis is again, it's more of a pure adventure story. It doesn't have the like the thematic kind of maturity that those other three do those that those other four do yeah but it's just such a great adventure that those are kind of the the those five stories are the best of that run this great run that he has yeah he was really uh, in his stride there yeah and and so like but to me this one is probably uh, apart from um the secret of atlantis this is the best of the just like adventure stories in that first run. And again, there's no reason to consider the first 10 stories other than that they are the first 10 stories. Right. But, um, but I, I like this one. I might even rank it a little bit higher. Like uh, I think lemming with the locket and um, fabulous philosopher's stone. I think they might be ranked higher than this one is on index and, and for me, this one works better. This one hits. Um, this one hits better. I like this one better than Mysterious Stone Ray for sure, yeah. which I think is also ranked quite a bit higher. Okay. Well, again, the three the three reasons I like this story. I grew up with it. It was in the first comic I ever bought. It was paired with my favorite story, Luck of the North. Number two, the splash panels Im- just embedded in my memory, and uh, and and just I love. The storytelling technique and the the fact that this was an adventure, and then later my third reason is that it inspired George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, two of my favorite filmmakers and great storytellers in their own right, to yeah. uh, to continue on with that. And the fact that they they saw Barks as a wonderful storyteller and an inspiration says a whole lot about about Carl Barks. Yeah, well said. Um, I think I think this clearly inspired a lot of people who came out with some pretty great stuff. So as far as other media goes, um, Warren, do you own this litho? I do. I do. It's it's good. I wouldn't call it great because it's a, do you have a picture of it? Are you looking at it? Yeah. Um, it, I'm not right now, but I'm, oh, I'm no. well familiar with this. Yeah. It, I, I, I think I would have liked to have seen more of the adventure in the litho. Uh, this one features them, uh, I think, with the idol, if I'm not mistaken, and it it, it kind of sets it up. But they're all very happy to uh, see the treasures of Cibola. But yes, 
I have that one. It's it's a beautiful one. The colors are in, incredible. Yeah, I really like this one. I I always yeah. um this one always struck me. So um yeah. I, and as far as I know, this is not one that have ha, this story doesn't have any big sequels. And then I don't believe that it was ever adapted into a Ducktales story. I was going to ask you. It is kind of, you know, reminiscent to me of the pilot episodes where Scrooge is looking for some golden cities. So Mm -hmm. I think they might have kind of adapted the spirit of this story. Um, But I don't think they're like, I don't think they ever specifically call out seven cities of Cibola or anything. What I found interesting was that this story came out in 1954, correct? And then Uh, in, in 1955... Out of Hollywood came a, a, a adventure film called The Seven Cities of Gold. And then in 1958, just a few years later, there was the classic Clayton Moore Gold uh, Lone Ranger in the Lost City of Gold. Again, all based on this this uh, uh, story of of the seven cities of Cibola. Yeah, this this legend really does cast a long shadow. Excellent. I think we've covered it pretty well. And yeah. are there any favorite panels that you would like to highlight? Well, I'm going to go back to the the what I call the three big splash panels. The first one in the money bin, which just to me is just makes me smile. And I love money bin opening shots. You mentioned that it brings the new readers back into who Uncle Scrooge is. And those uh, the first when they see Cibola and when the boulder hits, those are my favorite big splash panels but I, I think some of the other panels that just i just can't get enough of are the beagle boys when they're thrown out of the welfare office and when they when they all march off together in in defeat uh with their arms on their shoulders and then when they appear as the conquistadors and surprise scrooge i just love that yeah you listed some good ones there the um we're you? almost required by law to mention those great splash panels yeah um as far as others i i did like the panel of the ship mm. um in the flashback yeah right? i mean all of the panels of the ship but especially the flood it it feels like it should have been a splash panel oh it could have easily been and again that's why i wanted more more of that backstory because it was just so romantic in its portrayal and just so adventurous yeah and and Honestly, like the the duck's whole journey um, just feels very, very impactful and very cool. <laughs> you mentioned those Beagle Boys at the beginning. Those are all very funny panels. I mean, this one's full of very nice panels in general. Um, I do like when, when Scrooge is recoiling at uh, the peanut guy telling him that uh, this, <laughs> this peanut wagon already belongs to you. To you, yeah, yeah. And of course, the the scene, the the short scene with Gyro Gearloose, uh, you know, asking him, uh, "Aren't you Uncle Scrooge? Aren't you Scrooge McDuck? I mean, come on, you know, my old pal doesn't recognize me." And, right. and I was wondering if the Beagle Boys ever wore those outfits again. I don't recall the white shirt and the blue pants. I don't know if that's the original color. I do have I do have Uncle Scrooge number seven, the Dell. So I'm going to go take a look at the color reference. It's probably pretty accurate. Yeah, I think. I think they're still sporting that in the next, uh, I mean, it's a good segue to um, telling listeners to please join us for, for the next episode when we get to cover the mysterious Stone Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they're still dressed like that in this one, in that one, but, okay. um, but I'm not going to fact check it. 
<laughs> so um yeah any any closing thoughts warren just a just a fun adventure story knowing that 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 i think carl barks probably felt that now into his seventh issue uh of of the scrooge title he was hitting his stride with really fully developing scrooge into an adventurer a treasure hunter uh, now he could do anything and i think this is uh really setting up scrooge for the reader who um, I was reading in one of the essays that I read online that uh, a, a comment from a reader just said, Scrooge is my favorite superhero. I thought mm -hmm. that was pretty cool because look what he's doing at his age and he's doing this stuff with, you know, all, all this action. So I thought that was a pretty cool compliment to pay Barks and to pay Uncle Scrooge. Yeah, Barks is really showing a lot of confidence at this point, huh? Excellent. All right. Well, um, listeners, feel free to reach out on um, the socials. You know, we've got Barks Remarks on Facebook and Instagram. And Warren, um, if you don't mind, I've been closing out recent episodes by asking guests to just read whatever is in the last panel. All right. So the last panel of the seven cities of Cibola, Scrooge walks off and says, well, let him go. I'm too tired to dig back under that pile of rubble for two bucks. Awesome. Thanks so much, Warren. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Mark.